Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. This is my friend and my neighbor, and I get to drink all of her beer all of the time. It's time for Brewing After Hours with Sarah Flora. Beer is like sunshine for the belly. Hi, I'm Sarah Flora. You may know me as Flora Brewing on Instagram and YouTube, where I dive into the technical aspects of making beer. My new podcast, Brewing After Hours, is going to take a different look at the history and stories behind beer. I'm going to bring you a story a week, as well as conversations with homebrewers and professionals in the industry. And of course, we'll be cracking some beers along the way. Hello and welcome to the Brewing After Hours podcast. I'm Sarah Flora. On this episode, we're talking about all things hops. How did hops start being added to beer? How have hops been used throughout the centuries? We'll chat with our special guest, Kelly Lormeyer, field market manager of Yakima Chief Hops about the process of farming hops, the different varieties, the annual hops blend supporting the Pink Boots Society, and much more. And make sure to keep listening after the interview because Jenny and I review my Pink Boots Hibiscus Pale Ale. But first, let's get into some history. Hops are probably the most understood and obsessed over ingredient in brewing. The sheer amount of different varieties leads to endless flavor and aroma possibilities, especially with all the new experimental varieties coming out now. Since the Rahigabot purity law was passed in Germany, hops have pretty much been a given when you make beer, but that wasn't always the case. Today, the words beer and ale mean pretty much the same, but the word ale was originally reserved for beers produced from malt without hops. When hops were first introduced to beer, they were nowhere near as popular as they are today. Many people hated the bitter flavor, and I think most of us can remember our first taste of beer and the face that we made. It's definitely an acquired taste, to the point where Keystone commercials in 1995 touted that Keystone Light would give you no more bitter beer face. And I'll post that commercial to my website. It's definitely worth a chuckle. So when and why were hops introduced to beer if everyone hated them? The abbess Hildegard von Bingen whose 12th century pharmacopoeia Physica Sacra was perhaps the first document to record the use of hops in brewing, didn't exactly give them a ringing endorsement. Though she was fully aware of the preservative qualities hops possessed, she claimed that they induced melancholy and weighed down one's insides. I can attest to this now that I'm in my 30s. I notice more and more that hops are basically a sedative to me. I can drink low-hopped lagers all day, but as soon as you put a heavy-hopped IPA in front of me, I need a nap. Hops are the seed cones of perennial vine related to cannabis, which have been cultivated since the Middle Ages. Brewers, unlike the public, have known for a long time that hops are important for our beer to cut the sweetness of the malt and for preservation given that they have antibacterial properties. In the beginning, preservation was the only reason brewers were using hops in their beer, and the public reluctantly accepted the choice because what were they going to do, stop drinking the beer? Henry VIII was reported to have given royal ale brewers strict orders to use neither hops nor brimstone in the king's libations. I guess you can dictate whatever you want to drink when you're the king of England. By the 17th century, unhopped beer was falling out of fashion, and the hop market exploded, giving us many of the beer styles we're familiar with today. With that brief history of hops, let's dive into my conversation with Kelly Lormeyer. She's the Yakima Chief Field Marketing Manager and a personal friend, so our conversation naturally went over an hour. Hey, Kelly. Thanks for joining the show. I feel like working in hops is such a special and unique side of the beer industry that isn't spotlighted as much as it should be. 
It would be great to hear about your professional background and your journey into the hop world. Cool. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for inviting me to your show. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, I love that question. It's something that pretty near and dear to me. I was pretty ingrained after college in the restaurant industry. I was before and during college and then after college, kind of just continued that journey. I worked in tobacco for a minute, but I found I didn't really like it. And so I moved back into restaurants and um, I met this guy, Dave Bailey. Um, He owns about like, I think like six restaurants now in St. Louis. And he was really into like beer, cheese, food, and just getting deeper into those things. And back then it was, I think it was like around 2005 that I started working for him at the chocolate bar. And it was more... In St. Louis at that time, it was more like, you know, the imports from Europe, like a lot of New Belgium stuff, you know, pretty limited craft beer. But then five years later, he opened a 65 craft handled beer bar. And I was still kind of in the industry, like looking around, just like I need something new. And I saw I was opening it. So I just knocked on his door and was like, hey, man, I I really want to bartend for you. I want to, this sounds awesome. I got in the door and ended up being a bartender there for a full, the first year it was open learned so much, you know, was seeing, seeing like California beers like Lagunitas and Moylan's come over into St. Louis. Also getting, you know, stuff from across the sea, sour beers, Jolly Pumpkin, and then like smaller grassroots stuff was starting in St. Louis. And then I would see beer reps and I was like, I want to be a beer rep. Uh, so one day I like a manager sat at my bar and I was like, you know, you should really hire me. You know, I was just like talking myself up and he was impressed by my knowledge and they invited me to interview at Tallgrass Brewing. They're not around anymore. I worked for them for almost four years and watched them grow from about 2,000 barrels to like, I think they were over like 16,000 by the time I left. Got paid on case equivalents. So you could definitely tell in your paycheck (laughs) whether you were doing a job or not, which I thought was a cool way to get paid because it really did, you know, put the pedal to the metal as far as sales. Um, and I worked for a brewer there, Andrew Hood. He's with Sun King now. Uh, he runs their barrel program. But he was like so into hops. And so we would just like nerd out and like rub and smell hops. Learning about hops in that way with Andrew was really kind of changing my life because it made me like understand who is Yakima Chief. Yeah, I just was looking around for a job in raw materials and I went to their website and they had a sales job on there and I applied. Somehow I finagled it and I got the job. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, as a homebrewer, and I feel like a lot of homebrewers who listen are super familiar with Yakima Chief. Like, I mean, the the two big players, it seems like, are Yakima Chief and Yakima Valley for the hops. So uh, Yakima Chief Hops is the only grower-owned network of hop farms, and it handles about a third of the United States hop production. And that's huge. That includes what Budweiser uses and stuff, right? Yeah, we have... 14 grower owners now. Um, and then we collect hops from 52 farms in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. Like what you're saying with some of that comes like challenge as far as like growing, getting in, into bales where they finally come to us and that's where we start processing. And that relationship, I guess, that you have to have with the grower, we take the green chief program and it's actually like a, a green light, yellow light, red light um, collective that we work with Yakima chief ranches. There's also a group of brewers that come up and they look at our farms. They make sure there's no like crazy bird's nest in the the kilns or there's no, you know, it's not dirty that they clean them every year because they're only used, you know, one time a year. Um, So you really have to make sure they're clean, first of all. No more eating like around the hops. Um, You know, very safety forward as well. It's a very dangerous job. Have you ever seen a hop like processing? Yeah, I got to go to Yakima. I went to Cornerstone Ranches. And I got to see the whole situation and they're using a really old system. I think 
The owner's grandfather built most of the equipment, but it was wild. And yeah, it seems extremely dangerous. And most of their setup is wood, which is interesting to me because like, you know, you think it would be way more industrial, but it looks like this could have been around since like the 1800s. You'll see a lot of that in the Valley. Um, A lot of things, you know, were made of wood. As people grow, you still see like wood because if it works, it works. I mean, it's not like they're going to just like tear it down and throw it away just to put in like a new picker if if the stuff is working for them. Um, The danger of wood, you know, is like if a fire came through, but if a fire came through any hop plant, it would be devastating no matter what. Kilns used to be more wood and you don't see a lot of wood in kilns anymore. And a lot of people were diesel before and now it's like propane mostly. I can imagine diesel like giving a really bad smell. (laughs) Absolutely. So like in the past, you know, I would say before like 2005, maybe a little bit earlier, like there was probably some other bigger people coming up, but hops were a commodity. I mean, they were basically like they wanted to dry them as fast as they could, but hold as much alpha as they could because they were basically selling shares of alpha. Getting rid of the diesel as the craft beer industry has really taken off has definitely made the <laughs> the aromas of hops better. Like so fun to be able to like learn about the industry and like what people are are doing and how much the farmers are like reliant on the craft industry, the homebrew industry. I mean, so many people come out of the homebrewing industry into the professional side. We are getting more involved in homebrewing side um, with our website having, you know, accessibility there. Um, And sometimes we'll even make like special stuff for homebrewers that we don't make for commercial brewers. Before Sabro was released, it was actually released to homebrewers. Yeah, I've been getting Sabro from everyone. It's like what everyone wants to give me now. And I'm just like, I think I probably have... I have another pound on the way, but I think I already have like two pounds and I actually like gave away a pound to one of my neighbors and I was just like, I have so much of this and it's a really great hop, but like, I don't know how many beers I can make with Sabro before people are tired of seeing me talking about Sabro. That's really funny. Yeah, Sabro is definitely hot. I think we released it to homebrewers like four years ago. So it was a while back um, before it was even commercially available. It grows really nice. It has like a great burly cone. It, It protects its lupulin. I like it a lot. I get a lot of like pineapple from it, which I love. And then it's got like the undertones of weed. Whenever I have read try some of it. I'm like, okay, so this hop was basically the pineapple express weed beer now because I used Sabro. (laughs) That is awesome. Cause yeah, I hear like if you dry hop with it, it it throws that pineapple a lot better than cooling. It's like more coconut, like suntanny. Yeah. I really dig the hop. Honestly, it's, it's a good one. Do you guys work with any research institutions at all to develop new strains? Yes. Yakima Chief Ranches is our hop breeding program. It's Jason Peralta who developed Citra, Mosaic, Sabro, Simcoe, Atanum, Palisade, Equinot. Basically when a farm is, or when Jason's looking at hops and when any breeder I would imagine looks at hops, they want to make sure that they're like viable in the field. So it takes about 11 years for a hop to actually come from like 586 is the number right now. So as soon as you hear that number, that hop is probably in its fifth or sixth year in ground. Basically like they start as babies in a nursery. If they show well on that table, then they'll get they'll get some more nursery time the next year. If they still show well in the nursery, then they'll get an actual one hill. So they'll get a single hill, which is two strings that come out of it. 
um, if they grow well on that one one hill, then they get like I think if it goes up to like seven hills, and then if they continue to grow well there, then they might get an acre, and then if they continue to produce in that acre, it takes about three years for a, a hop to come to maturation of actually producing like the cones that it's going to produce and hitting like the top of the wire. Um, trellises are like 16 feet. The 586 is a great one. I should have given it to us to smell today. I was focusing on some things that we had for home growers, so I, I didn't want to like tempt them with that and then we don't have it available, but it might become available. So keep your eyes peeled. But that one was like lots of mango for us. What'd you get out of it? I like have this thing with mangoes. I'm like really allergic to them. It would probably be my favorite fruit if I could eat it. So I always like to make beers that have like a super mango vibe. And I always got that from Mosaic, but I think I actually like 586 way more. A mango-y beer is like exactly what I want in an IPA. Here's something you don't know about me. I don't relax well. With my crazy life, it's just hard for me to shut off my brain and chill. I overthink, I get easily stressed out, and it effing sucks. So I did my homework and found Sunday Scaries which are delicious and vitamin-boosted CBD gummies. They've become a must-have in my daily routine, and they chill me out in just about 20 minutes. Basically, they help me take the edge off so I can maintain my composure and live scare-free. And there's no risk to buy. The company offers a 100% lifetime money-back guarantee. If the product's not for you, that's okay. You'll get your money back. Sunday Scaries is in the stress-relieving business, not the stress-causing business. I got you 25% off to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com and use my promo code BELIEVE for your discount. That's promo code BELIEVE, B-L-E-A-V, for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. They're effing amazing and you won't regret joining their squad. What are the key factors in ensuring hops stay in the highest quality? I know we've heard freezing them, keeping them sealed, any hot tips that you have for home brewers? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, if you, if you can use a package in a brew, you know, if you don't have to open your package before you brew with it and like save it, that's always going to be great. I think that's why we've kind of gone to this one ounce for cryo and two ounces for T90s because hopefully that'll be, you know, used in one home brew. So anything you buy from us is frozen. So I would recommend anytime I get hop samples, I keep them in my freezer. Yeah, I think with um, the just the sheer volume of hops that I currently have, I think I'm going to need like a deep freezer. <laughs> I was like at Home Depot looking. I was like, ooh, this one's only like $130 and it would fit all my hops. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, currently, whenever I go to the grocery store, I have to tell my husband, we have no freezer space. And he's like, we have four bins in the freezer. And I was like, yeah, half of it is uh, hops. So yeah, there's no space. It's like, we got hops, we've got ice and we've got like a frozen pizza. <laughs> That's funny. We say we they have a three-year shelf life, um, but you know, the quicker and faster you use your hops, we try to get, you know, commercial brewers using their hops in like within the year. Keep them cold and buy them from a reputable source. Yakima Chief does an annual partnership. It's its fourth year this year. And this is, of course, with the Pink Boots Society. Just, you know, being a female in the brewing world. I love Pink Boots Society. I'm obsessed with this blend every year. And usually, if it's not COVID, I do a group brew with a homebrew club out of 
commercial brewery. Those of you who aren't familiar with Pink Boots, it's a nonprofit organization that supports women in the fermented and alcoholic beverage industry to advance their careers through education. The Pink Boots Pop Blend is available to commercial and home brewers, and a portion of the proceeds benefit the Pink Boots Society scholarship funds. Kelly, can you tell us more about the impact this global collab has made over the last few years and what we can expect from the 2020 Hop Blend? For sure. I'll start with the blend and then I'll talk about the impact. The blend is really fun. It was created during Harvest four years ago. My CEO then, he was like, how can we connect with more women in the industry? Like, you have a suggestion. And I was like, man, Pink Boots is really cool. Like, and I had met Laura Ulrich since I had moved to California. Thought of her immediately and thought of that society and was like, I think this is a great society. They really are pushing, you know, the vision of educated women in beer. And, and I thought that was a really neat group. But it was really exciting to, to see that come together. And we quickly like got the hops from Harvest. So we had all the raw hops from Harvest. They have their annual meeting at GABF every year. I flew out to Denver, brought all these hops in a suitcase, set them all out at this like at their meeting and kind of like was like, smell the hops. And we had like sheets that were, you know, sensory sheets telling people to write down what they thought and like, just give us some feedback. So from there, that's really how we do the Pink Boots Blend. We have a bunch of raw hops for people. It's usually a GABF this year. It was virtual and they just like start smelling and sniffing and, and making their own blends. And I think what it does for that community is like a lot of people don't ever see raw hops. Uh, so it gives them this opportunity to actually see the raw product and actually make a pellet or a blend that's going to go into a pellet just for them. Usually it's about five hops. I think one year it was four. It's a a voting process, 15 teams across the world. Each team turned in their blend. And then we went to our sensory department and they made three different blends based on like the top five that were given. And so this was the one that we came on this year, a tandem cashmere, citra, laurel, and a little bit of sabro. Laurel has been in the blend all four years, which I think is really cool. In 2018, when we did the first blend, um, they had 260 breweries, 10 countries participating, and $95,000 was raised by the actual teams. So the Pink Boots um, chapters across the world can raise extra money from the brew days, where either people will donate like a certain amount of dollars per keg is what I would suggest, or per case. It's easier to track than like pints. All the people that bought the hot blend, we gave them $3 per pound donation of $40,000 that year. And that helped with um, 23 of their scholarships. In 19, it went up to 380 breweries. So you see how quickly this is like ramping. Fortunately, we were still able to give um, in 2020, the pounds bought by breweries equaled $117,000 donated back to the Pink Boots. You mentioned like having your homebrew club that goes and does. Where do you guys usually, do you have like a certain brew you like to do it with at the commercial level or? I've done it twice. We did it Wing Walker first and then we did it Feathered Serpent second. So enlightening. Like that was my first time ever brewing at a commercial level. And the similarities between home brewing and commercial brewing are like really surprising, but there's also some things like you may not think about, oh, you have to clean out all of this grain from the bottom of the kettle or the bottom of the mash tun. And like, you've got to do it yourself. It's a lot. So one perk of being your friend is you send me sample pack. Before recording this, you sent me a box. And in that gift box was a lot of cryo hops. Wondering if you could tell us a little bit about how cryo hops are different than our normal T90, which is like what most people buy. It's the standard pellet hops. So they're 200 pound bales that we're putting into like a big mixer. And that's poured out the T90s. Um, we do use like 
back to some quality stuff, we do use like a QI index that's like a plus two minus two where we want those hops to fall. Um, and then from there, whenever we figure out the plus two minus two, and this is going to be the same for cryo and T90s. So that's kind of why I'm talking about it. We can either do single runs where like we think a hop is good enough that it represents that variety that we'll just do a single run of it. Or if we think that there's some hops that like have a lower oil, a higher oil, a lower alpha, a higher alpha that we can kind of get where they'll get in the middle of that quality index where we want it to be, then we'll take those bales and we'll actually, as we're making the mixing tanks, because the mixing tank is like a semi, so as big as like a semi. So we'll put like, you know, 10, 15, 20 bales in there and we'll mix them all up so that they homogenize and get to um, that single variety specific character we're looking at for. Um, then we'll push it through the pellet pelletizer. And what we did with cryo is it's whole bales still, and it goes across like a shaker table to like break up the bales because the bales are so compact, you know, whenever they're mashed down in that little 200 pound bale. Um, and so it kind of breaks them up. And from there, it goes through like a frozen auger and then it's, they're sifted. And basically it's like gently pulling apart the bract and the petiole um, and the strig. So the strig is like the middle of the hop. And then the bracket and the petiole are around it and they're, you know, covering that lupulin and keeping the lupulin safe. But we just want the lupulin when we're making cryo. So we are just gently getting all that bract and lupulin separated in this process. And by the end of it, we have like pretty much pure bract. Um, we call it American Noble for some of the varieties. It still has a tiny bit of um, oils and alpha on it, but very low. And then we have like the pure lupulin like the cryo um or the lupulin powder or it's lupulin powder at that point which is going to be pressed into like a cold press into a pellet and then it turns into the cryo hops it's like a double condensed t90 so there's no bracton petiole so you're just looking at pure lupulin and if you squish the lupulin the cryo pellets they're going to be a lot more malleable and kind of like play-doh-y where a t90 sometimes can be like really hard depending on like what variety it is but usually like a cryo pellet is going to be like you know upwards of five oil and like you know upwards of 20 plus alpha because it's just a super concentrated lupulin pellet and from there, once you get it into that form, for a brewer, you can use 50% less hops. So if you're using a pound of T90, you would only use half a pound of cryo. So one of the cool things that we just did with Columbus cryo is we found that because it has a high level of MH3, that whenever you use it in the dry hop, it's going to throw passion fruit and grapefruit. You only want to use it like 10 to 20%. Um, so it's interesting and same with like the Chinooks or the Centennials, Cascades of the world. It just adds, it like kind of like supercharges them. You're inspiring to make a side-by-side -side, uh, beer, like one with standard and one with cryo to see like how much different they actually are. And I think I'm going to have to save some of that cryo to do so. <laughs> Is there anything else in the future for Yakima Chief, any trends we should be watching out for? Any new products? Absolutely. One thing we've been doing with our research and development team this last uh, couple of years is really like researching hops, seeing what compounds they have that are, you know, going to stay in beer, going to stay in that finished beer, and how can, how do they work well with like, you know, people doing biotransformation, dry hopping, whirlpooling, like what's, what's the difference that's happening? Um, so you'll see like on our, 
some of our social media and um, some of our talks from Virtual Harvest last year focused on survivables. But we're seeing that like an Idaho 7 is going to be a great, if hop, if you use it in biotransformation, it's going to throw the fruit punch and the tangerine. Um, if you use it more as like a, a whirlpool hop and a cold side hop, it's going to be, it's still going to throw those fruit punch tangerines, but it might have like a little bit more of a West Coasty feel instead of like a hazy feel. We really like to blend hops at Yakima Chief. It's um, one of the cornerstones of our company's quality measures. And then we found that we can also make these like special blends that really like can impact what a brewer wants in like one single hop. So the try two, three, or four is really like for the New England style of beer. Um, it has like elevated levels of certain compounds and they don't, they don't put all of our secrets out there yet <laughs> testing it, but I would recommend if you can get a homebrew pack or if you want to send me a note, I'd be happy to see if I can get you one. Um, but we're looking at trialing this to see if people like it, but it's creating that tropical fruit, stone fruit, um, citrus kind of daiquiri like qualities that people are liking in hazies and it's great. You can use it in bio, the biotransformation process, or you can simply use it as a dry hop to boost some of those tropical aromas. Um, but then, like you mentioned earlier, 586 is one that we're definitely watching. Uh, 630 is another one, lots of tropical fruit. It's like the Luden's cherry candy. Like, I guess they're lozenges, but it kind of throws that like hint at the end. It's kind of refreshing and interesting and just kind of a break away from, you know, the typical mosaic citra. Totally. I'm obsessed with anything cherry flavored. So that's like so far up my alley. Anything artificial cherry, I'm all about. I planted a cherry tree up north like the moment we bought our property. I have cherry blossoms like tattooed on my back. I'm like all about the cherries. <laughs> yes, it's it's fun. But yeah, I think we're just trying to really get deeper and like understand the survivables and understand like how can we help brewers create um, beers that are going to keep those flavors that they want really impactful at the finished product. And then cryo is also something that's grown from a small amount to quite, quite large actually now, which is really fun to see it taking off in the beer community. Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like homebrewers especially are just like excited about anything new and including myself, anything new. I'm like super into distilled hop oil too, which I don't, I don't know who makes it, but I I've gotten some off more beer. And, uh, the fun thing about that is you can kind of save a crappy beer with it. <laughs> Just like throw a bottle in a, in a crappy keg and it'll completely change the flavor. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I've, I've heard that before. We don't deal much in hop oil, so I'm not very familiar with them on the cold side, but yeah, I've heard that that story before too. It saved a tank because it was something was not right last ditch effort to save a beer before you dump it kind of thing. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> now that I have glycol, I feel like most of my beers turn out well. So, and that's a good thing because I'm recording all of them and posting them on the internet. So <laughs> the, the less failures I have, the better. Once you get more sophisticated, like you're getting, um, you definitely, that temperature control is everything for beer. You know that. Oh yeah. Especially in California. It's like, I mean, it just stopped being like 90 degrees here. So, and it's February. <laughs> it gets like 120 degrees here in the summer. And I'm just like, I got to insulate my garage. If I'm going to use that as a brewery, my electric bill is going to be through the roof. <laughs> 
Thanks so much for joining me, Kelly. This was awesome. I could literally talk to you all day. This has been like an hour and a half. (laughs) We're going to have to cut this down. Thank you, Kelly, for joining the show. If you'd like to learn more about Yakima Chief, you can go to yakimachief.com. If you want to learn more about hops, go to the Flora Brewing YouTube, where you'll find videos on different kinds of hops, terminology, and much more. Hello. It's my first time here. Welcome back. Welcome back to you. Welcome back to you. This is Jenny's first review in the new house so we've got our ca- casting couch situation happening this is not a casting couch situation i'd like to clarify i was precast so i never <laughs> had to audition <laughs> the producers let me through with flying colors okay so <laughs> so i actually don't know what we're doing I, I she literally told me to come over and that we were drinking something so i have an empty glass and she has a pitcher and that's all i know So today we are trying my Pink Boots Hibiscus Pale Ale. So this is what I brewed on International Women's Day, hence the pinkness. Wait a minute. I actually saw you guys setting up to brew this, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you were over that day. I, I was working that day, so I was here when you were setting up to brew the hibiscus beer, but I didn't get to stay during the brew. Yeah. Our lives are very intertwined. (laughs) it is the color is we were it's like if here i'll go ahead and pour rust and salmon had a baby rust and salmon babies it is pink it is really pretty you haven't tasted this yet or have you um i only tasted it pre-carbonation um and guys i literally carbonated this last night so before i drink this because you've taught me it's been a while since we've done one of these. God, the and so is gorgeous. It is. And it's been a while since we've done one of these. So I want to let you do this the right way without me interrupting you. Tell me about the stuff that I don't understand. Tell me about the build. Tell me about the hops. Tell me about yeah. that. Okay. So the malt build is just two row and some caramel 10. There was 10 pounds of two row, one pound of caramel 10. The hops was just two ounces of the 2021 Pink Boots blend, which goes to support uh, Pink Boots Society. How they decided on this blend of hops is they basically sent out packs to different groups of women from different breweries and different organizations, and everyone voted on what the blend should be this year. So this was similar to the Black is Beautiful, where there was a recipe that was given to a lot of different women, and everyone was able to brew a similar beer? It's not the beer that's similar. It's only the hop blend. What are you anticipating in the flavor of this? Because I don't have any preparation. I think it's going to be slightly tart from the hibiscus. And other than that, pretty low hop profile. um, And just pretty light in general, I think. It came out to about 5% ABV. I overshot all of my like metrics and had to add up two gallons of water to this. So, okay. Hibiscus is the one flavor I'm super familiar with. And so as a bartender, we use hibiscus a lot in cocktails. And I know the risks that you run with tea and hibiscus in general in terms of astringency and acidity and things like that and oversteeping. Yeah. So I mean, there's probably going to be some astringency in this. Well, but I'm okay with that yeah. with beer. There's difference, there's difference with spirits and beer. Yeah. But with hops as well, if you're telling me that you only use those couple, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So let's do aroma first. I have no idea what to expect. So I definitely get hibiscus tea. It is. I've been drinking a lot of yerba mate. 
Ooh. Oh my God. You know what it reminds me of is, have you had those Yerba Mate cans? No, I've been brew- we're brewing it at home. So there's this Yerba Mate energy drink. My favorite one is the blueberry and that's exactly what this smells like. But where this is differing from any other beer for me is still that herbal tea thing. It's a little more floral. The hibiscus definitely brings a little bit more floral. Well, I also used Belgian yeast. So we might also be getting some phenols. It's because I fermented it at 57 degrees. So I kept it at the like very minimum of well, what the yeast can take. on the second floor anymore where it's hot. You can actually control temperature easier. I know. And like glycol like wasn't even running because it was so cold in the garage. This The, the nose on this is bright and somehow like comforting like something about the tea flavor is mm-hmm. very but it's still yeah. floral and springy a little bit okay yeah i mean Can I taste yeah there's also something almost lemongrassy on the nose Ooh, it has like a slightly saison vibe oh i was gonna say spring i don't know if i would have placed it on so saison, light. but it's so bright so clean oh man i could drink a lot of this considering it it feels lighter than I thought it would because it does. Yeah, it really it's does. not clear. It is cloudy. No, it's definitely hazy. It's hazy, but I also like, if you think about it, I force carbonated it yesterday, so I shook the crap out of it. So maybe it'll settle? Yeah, I think it will settle a lot. This is even brighter and lighter than the cranberry. Mm-hmm. The cranberry still had some of the hot back. Yeah. This is, it's like if you chilled hibiscus tea. Yeah, it is. It, like, it is so refreshing. It is so bright. Yeah. The hops add, if you ever made actual hibiscus tea and just threw hops into the tea, the flavors that the hops would impart into an actual tea, yeah. I feel like you're pulling you the know, true plant flavors from those hops. Yeah. It's also got like a mild like honey taste, like if you sweetened hibiscus tea with honey. Um, and it's got an earthiness on the end, which I think might you can be- get the hops. It could either be the hops or it could be the tea. I can't really tell. It is so refreshing. The sweetness is so natural. So mm-hmm. honey makes sense. I don't know if I would have placed that. It just feels like the sweetness is inherently yeah. with. I do get a little bit of like the lemongrass in the flavor more so than the nose. But it's, it's, it breathes. Like this is, oh, yeah. it's. If you didn't tell I could me drink this was alcoholic, like I know, I know. If it you, doesn't taste like if it. If you didn't tell me this was alcoholic and you served this to me at Starbucks, mm-hmm. this is like a carbonated hibiscus. <laughs> you, could, you could totally trick people with this one. <laughs> and I say that like a lot of the times you get some of those like over fruited or over floral beers that are really sweet. Yeah. This does not feel sweetened at all no it's not super it's pretty dry actually but it's bright and crisp and refreshing yeah this is gonna be on the summertime this is list amazing for sure Sarah, this is a pool beer would you call this what cat is this a pale you said this is a pale ale yeah i mean that's kind of what i built it as but doesn't drink like a pale ale. I know it doesn't. It drinks like a saison, but like a very unsaisony saison. You know, like or like is there a category for like just summer ale? I mean, yeah, but I don't know what the guidelines are. This actually. this is the guideline. This is summer ale should feel like this. We're on a pool float. You can drink it, and it's got tea in it, so it's doing good things for your mm-hmm. something inside of your body. This yeah, is, what does hibiscus do for you? Makes you happy. It does. 
It's funny that you said cranberry because it compared the taste of yeah, but to the, cranberry. Even the cranberry lager carried, and seasonally speaking, it was super fitting because the the weight that the cranberry lager carried yeah. was that one definitely had more body and it was more stringent. Yeah, but that worked for the season. It was more fall flavored. Mm-hmm. Okay, antioxidants. Ooh, yep, getting our antioxidants. We are fighting free radicals. Animal studies have found that hibiscus extract has an antioxidant property. Additional studies are needed. That doesn't sound good. Might help. Hibiscus might help lower blood pressure, which considering the past 18 months of our lives, most of us are dealing with additional stress and possibly additional blood pressure. So Mm -hmm. what else? May help lower blood fat levels. I feel like all of these things are what we need after quarantine. Unless just because we eat like shit. I was oh, doing that before quarantine. True. May boost liver health. We're literally drinking a liver tonic. To liver health. To liver health. <laughs> wow, this is what we should keep on tap all the time. Oh my God, like for real. From producing proteins to secreting bile to breaking down fat, your liver, liver is essential to your overall health. Interestingly, studies have shown that hibiscus may promote liver health and help keep it working. Treatment with hibiscus extract decreased markers of liver damage. Hmm, girl. Toxifies enzymes in the liver by 65%. Hey, more liver. please. I was about to say more liver beers. Can I have hibiscus beers? May I have another liver beer, please? (laughs) So, may I have another? Excuse me, can I have one of those liver beers? Could promote weight loss. Sure. (laughs) Could help fight bacteria. I mean, that's actually good to know. It's flavorful and easy to make. (laughs) Cool. Good number eight. Uh, We Uh, obviously ran out of numbers. (laughs) You know what? To liver tea. To liver tea. Liver beer? Liver beer. This is delicious. Mm -hmm. I'm glad it was only five point something percent because any higher... I know. Been really dangerous. You know what? It actually reminds me a lot of my cherry saison, but that's like eight percent. The cherry saison, I also feel like, and I'm trying to remember. I think I'm thinking of the right beer. The cherry saison was a little tartar, right? It's very tart. Yeah. So that's the thing is because of how intense that flavor was, you still drank it slower. Yeah. Well, some of us did. Some of us didn't. And it's yeah. so refreshing that like there's no need for that. Like, like with if I'm correct and I'm thinking about the right beer. That cherry saison, you drank and you were like, I'm going to process this and have a feeling about this beer. This, I'm like. I know. I don't think I've ever drank a beer this fast in a review. Sarah, whatever it is that happened with this, I'll be curious to see you. A lot of your pale ales, you, you are drawn to really hop intricate, complex pale ales. Yeah. Well, I'm trying to scale it back. So I, my la- my HBC 431 that you tried, that was a lighter hopped as well. So I'm trying to do lighter hops so you can actually taste the flavor because I'm tired of like the super bitter beers. I'm like not about that anymore. I want to taste all the ingredients. Like I don't want the hops to overpower anything. Well, here's what I'll tell you. If this is an indication of the progress, I am not against what you've ever done with your pale ales. I think... I enjoy the complexity of how many different hops and malts you used in those. That last one we did taste was, I remember that one being having more body and not yeah, being quite sure. as, as bitter. Yeah. It but um, this was very Melanie. <laughs> remember? Melanie beer. We we're going to rename that. I do remember, but 
it's interesting thinking about your, if this is part of that, how you're going to progress your own personal pale ale journey. Yeah. I look forward to when you start putting some of those hops back in. Yeah, it's going to be a slow graduation. It's going to be really exciting because yeah. you've always enjoyed the complexity. Yeah. And like your big pale ales, your big hop forward pale ales still worked because there was a depth of flavor. So now if you're lightening them, when you start picking and choosing your own personal. Yeah, I, I don't think I'll ever go back to like the super highly hopped. <laughs> Try that again. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think I'll ever go back to the super highly hopped beers just because it's not my taste anymore. But I like I would also like be curious to see how this tasted with a few more hops. Oh, for sure. I think hibiscus as a flavor profile and actually as you become more comfortable with these herbal tea flavors in general, seasonally speaking, I think it gives you such a huge range. Like that cranberry lager was so amazing for fall and touched on a lot of the same things that for this to be so beautiful for summer it's really exciting as a, t- as a taster it's it's exciting i'm just happy i have a whole keg of this i'm happy you have a whole keg of this <laughs> i'm just pissed that you don't live above me anymore i know you're gonna have to come visit more often okay yeah it's exciting to see your brewing confidence these are bold choices you're making. These are so different than stuff you've done before. And it's really cool because you're trusting yourself. Yeah. I feel like I have an idea of like what I want to make and how to do it now. It's like think- for a while I was chasing the IPA for so long. And it's just like, it was just constant frustration because I was overdoing it. And I didn't realize like what the flavors I was getting was were from. And Cutting back my hops has completely changed the way I brew. Well, you you honor the hop. You honor the flavor profile. Like you let you only put two malts and two hops in this, correct? Two malts and like, well, it's just the blend. So it's the only hop in it. Those two hops, what are the flavor profiles of those two hops? Oh, it's it's a combination of like seven hops. Oh, I thought it was just it's like cashmere, something, something, laurel, something, something. But if I were gonna guess. Whatever that hot blend is, it's not, it's citrus forward and yeah. bright and that's exactly the like flavor profile of it. So that's the thing is you're, you're, when you, before, if you go back, I asked you what you expected and you were right. So the fact that you're now able to start creating flavor profiles from the get and you're not guessing, that's a statement of artistry. That's a statement of confidence and it's a statement of skill. Like this next, oh my God, I love being your friend. This summer is going to be so much mm-hmm. fun. You're going to be brewing so many delicious things that I get to taste. I'm so excited. Beers and pools. When you run out of room for storing beers, I will take them. <laughs> <laughs> my eight empty kegs this right was, now. <laughs> this was even better than you led me to believe it would be. It's so good. You guys, I'm really happy it turned out. Cheers. Go pour another one. Well, we'll call this one a success. Definitely. A success. <laughs> I'm sorry. We're going to what? This is a success. No, but like I just interrupted you. I was going to have you say it. So well, we're going to call this one a success. 
from your COVID vaccine to mine. May we all have a beer and a vaccine. Cheers to that. Thanks so much for watching. Like and subscribe. If you do, Jenny will probably come around more often. Let's be honest. We know you liked it. I know you probably liked her more than me. It's okay. I like her more than me too. Most of the time. Shut up. She's the one that gives me beer. You give me friendship. <laughs> that was really nice. <laughs> and if you want bonus content, go to the Patreon. I am posting videos of me reviewing beers for the podcast and stuff. And it's really weird because I'm in my closet. Anyway, we'll see you guys next time. listening to Brewing After Hours on the Believe Podcast Network. Find the show and lots of other great shows at Believe.com. If you're digging the show, please subscribe and rate the show on your preferred streaming platform. A special thank you to Honus Honus, the lyrical genius behind my favorite band, Man Man, who created the song you hear at the beginning of my podcast. Check the band's new album and more at manmanbands.com and at manmanbandsband on Instagram. If you're looking for some homebrewing tips, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Flora underscore brewing or subscribe to Flora Brewing on YouTube. For ad-free brewing tutorials and reviews, plus more one-on-one experience, become a Patreon member. It's just Patreon backslash Flora Brewing. Now, I really need a drink. I'll catch up with you all next week. Thanks again for listening and a friendly reminder to support your local craft brewery. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.